this whole idea of praying for others, of intercessory prayer. Um, and you probably didn't spend as much time on the couch in front of the TV as I did this last week um, because of the newborn. But maybe you heard a bit about um, Damar Hamlin, the player for the Buffalo Bills who suffered cardiac arrest on the field on, on Monday Night Football and then was taken to the hospital immediately after that. And it was this tragic, terrifying situation. But one of the things that obviously came out of that is this player taken in ambulance to hospital in the city. The game was canceled, postponed. And what happened then is a lot of the fans, instead of just packing it up, leaving, going home, and, and being upset that they didn't get their money's worth of a football outing, um, actually a few hundred fans went straight to the hospital there where Tamar Hamlin was housed. Um, and they were praying in the parking lot. And there were pictures on the internet of hundreds of people out in the parking lot praying. Um, and they were teammates and other players from all the teams, like in the lobby of the hospital, praying. Um, just yesterday, um, it's kind of, I'm still kind of surprised to see these sort of things on TV, but before both of the NFL games yesterday, both teams, before the game, came together on the 50-yard line in the middle of the field to pray before the game, to pray for safety, to pray for this player who was injured. And our nation, our world, how millions of people who are watching football um, are being smacked in the face right now with prayer with intercessory prayer, with this idea that we have a God who listens to us and hears us, and that we have this responsibility and this privilege to pray for others and to pray for one another. And so, since we talked about Abraham praying for the city last week, um, I want us now to pray for our city. Um, and so, we're going to do just a bit of a uh, responsive prayer, one another together. We're going to say all of this out loud as we read this. Um, but this is just adapted from Isaiah 62. This is a prayer for the city of Israel. But I want us here, as we conclude our time in prayer, as we transition into God's word, as Nick comes to teach us from the book of Genesis, I want us to end our prayer time praying for our city here. And so the thing with um, reading prayers out loud like this corporately is that it can either be really powerful or really creepy, depending on you know how much emphasis we give this, if we just drone on monotonely. And so as we read this, you know, read it with your chest. And would you just read this as a prayer for your city in which you live here? Um, maybe you don't live in Rapid City. You live in Rapid Valley so far away. Um, you know, you can fill in the blank there as well. Um, but would you just join me? So would you please um, rise to your feet? And let's read this together as a prayer for our city now as we end our prayer time. So this is adapted from Isaiah 62. For Rapid City's sake, I will not keep silent. For rapid city's sake, I will not remain quiet. Until her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal jewel in the hand of your God. No longer will they call your city's churches deserted or name your city desolate. But you will be called my delight, and your streets will be called my treasure. For the Lord will take delight in you, and you will be fruitful. As Isaiah prayed in his day, we pray in ours. We will cry out in prayer day and night. We will give ourselves no rest and we will give God no rest until he establishes Rapid City as a city on a hill, a beacon of hope 
a glimpse of the kingdom to come. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Evan, and thank you, everyone, for uh, praying for our city. Man, if we just kept doing that, if we kept taking a knee uh, constantly, uh, what a... What an amazing thing that would be. All right, well, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 19 today, and that is the answer to prayer, uh, the answer to uh, Abraham's prayer on behalf of Lot, things like that. So I would encourage you uh, to open your Bibles, open your apps uh, to Genesis chapter 19. Somebody, read, I think it was Corinne that reminded us. And if you don't have your Bible, shame on you. It's church. <laughs> so, so there we go. All right. So uh, Evan was talking about babies earlier, and, uh, and and he and I were having a conversation before the service started about babies. And and here's the thing: they're, they're, they're cute, right? They're sweet. They're darling. I mean, I've got my two-year-old uh, granddaughter, and she's just the best thing in the world. But but here's the thing about babies. They're selfish, okay? They're, they're completely 100% selfish. They come into this world, it's all about them, okay? And they scream to make sure that we know it's all about them. And then they begin to completely disrupt our lives, okay? Uh, they change your schedule completely. Sleep is not something that's a commodity that you can now have at your own uh, desire and things like that. It's, it's completely turning you inside out, upside down, and giving you a good shake. That's, that's what babies do. That's what every single one of us do coming into this world. And uh, until Jesus Christ comes and puts us in a brand new body, we, we will never grow out of it <laughs> until that happens. You and I, unfortunately, by default and habit, Ray, you mentioned habits, uh, we're selfish people. When we make decisions, um, they're motivated by self-preservation, self-interest, self, 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 and all, all that kind of thing. Uh, and so uh, let me start today's message with how not to make a selfish choice. How not to make a selfish choice. And this is a discipline. Uh, it's not just a one and done kind of thing and, uh, and, and everything's great. Uh, it's something that we have to put into practice constantly, constantly. Jesus said, if anyone who would follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. So whenever we have to make a decision, that's kind of the, 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 the formula, I guess I should say, that we have to approach is, is okay, I got a decision to make. Uh, before I make this decision, I have to deny myself. I, I have to take up my cross, put myself to death uh, regularly, daily, uh, and, and then follow Jesus. What would Jesus do in this case? How would, how would he make that decision? That sounds like a lot, but really, if we do that, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save us for a whole, from a whole lot of heartache because the rest of this message, we're going to see uh, why, why we don't want to get bound up in in selfish decisions. So uh, let's look to the scripture, but let's pray before we do. Father, as we go to your word now, um, we're going to read something that's not easy to read. And uh, there are times, Lord, when your word is kind of hard to understand, too. So we come to you, the author of all scripture, the one who breathed out every word 
of Genesis all the way through Revelation. And we ask, God, that, uh, that you, uh, that you, Holy Spirit, would teach and instruct and give enlightenment and understanding to us. And, and not just to fill our heads with knowledge, Lord, uh, but to change our hearts, to transform our character, and to make us more into uh, the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we were created. Uh, so, God, we ask for you to do that, that spiritual, that miraculous work in us as we look into this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, reason I talked about selfish babies is because uh, a while ago I talked about Lot, okay? And one of the first things I learned about Lot is that I've been mispronouncing his name all along, and I'm going to continue to mispronounce his name because we just don't recognize Lot. Uh, you know, that doesn't sound right to us. Uh, and, and we see in chapter 13, if we go back a few chapters, we see him being given a decision to make uh, by his uncle Abraham, and uh, the decision was choose this bit of land for yourself. And we see that Lot chose the best portion for himself. Okay, he didn't think about Abraham at all. He just said, Jordan Valley, I want this. Okay, and uh, and and that decision caused Lot to pitch his tent near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the kind of the twin cities of, of, of sin. Now, here's something you have to understand in the Bible, that whenever you read about a city or a town or something like that, it's really talking about the whole region uh, in there, not just the metropolis or, or that. So when we pray for Rapid City, we are praying for Rapid Valley. We are praying for Johnson Siding. We are praying for Blackhawk and, 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 and the whole area around us. All right, so, and, and then immediately the next week, we saw that an immediate consequence of, of Lot's choice was that he needed to be rescued, okay? Uh, because he got involved in a political situation and warfare that he probably never thought he would get involved in, and he gets taken captive, and Uncle Abraham, who I think would have been within his rights, has said, well, you made your bed, now lie in it. Uh, instead, single-handedly with... Uh, just a few hundred trained men do what four kings could not do and rescue Lot, or five kings, uh, goes in there and, and, and saves him. So when I preached about Lot some couple of months ago, uh, it was Lot the Tagalong. Uh, today, as we look at chapter 19, it's going to be Lot the, the Tugalong, and we're going to see why that, that comes into play here. All right, so here it is. Are you guys ready for this? This is going to be a marathon uh, reading of chapter 19, all 38 verses of it. Here we go. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself uh, with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and, and, and they ate. Okay, now here's something we're going to learn in this chapter is uh, these were angels, right? Okay, uh, they came along with God to do some business in the region of Sodom and, and Gomorrah, and in the rest of the text, we're going to see them referred to as men. Okay, so one of the things we learned about angels right here is that they can walk amongst us unknown. 
Okay, they can walk amongst us and somehow shed their, their angelic glory and, and weirdness, because when you read the Bible about what angels look like, it's pretty weird, and, and appear as just regular folk like you and me. All right, verse 4. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. I, I got to pause there. Because last time we saw uh, uh, Lot's domicile, place of residence, he was pitching his tent outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And now we see somewhere along the line, he's, re he's relocated. He's now living in a house. Imagine much better than a tent. I mean, that's a, that's a um, real estate upgrade. But he's now living in the city of Sodom, sitting in the gates as one of the elders in Sodom. All right, verse 5. All these men have surrounded the house. Verse 5 says, And they called the lot. Where are the men? Remember the angels? Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. All right? That is a very, uh, very gentle translation from the original language. I don't know why the ESV uh, does this. Maybe it just says, okay, we'll let you figure it out on your own, okay? Uh, if this were a TV show, all right, uh, we would read this verse. It says, bring them out that way, and beep them, okay? If you got the NIV, it just says it like it is from the original language, that we may have sex with them, okay? Hang on. Verse 6. Lot went out to the men of the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, angels, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he's become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man, Lot drew near to break the door down. But the men, angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. I, I just got to imagine that picture. There's Lot standing in the doorway and the angels are like, dude, you're, you're not in a good place. They grab a hold of him and tug him along into the room, into the house, and they shut the door. And then they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men, angels, said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, uh, bring them out of the place? For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, and now the language switches back to angels, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, he hesitated. So the men, angels, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to them, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, 
Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a, a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also. Now, notice that. I grant you this favor also. Okay, You're already a recipient of grace, Lot, but uh, because you are who you are, I now have to give you even more grace. All right? So he's, here you go. Uh, I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can also do nothing till you arrive there. And therefore the name of that city was called Salaire. Now this is important because that name keeps getting repeated. And, and here's what Salaire means. It just means little, little. And one of the things we're going to see in chapter 19 is that, yes, Lot was a righteous man, but he was a little righteous man. And we want to hang on to that about being a little righteous person. Verse 30, or 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Slayer. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities uh, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Then there's kind of this parenthetical passage, beginning with verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Soer and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Soer. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Okay, let's just all pause for a moment and collectively go, ew. All right? Uh, not my favorite stuff to read in the Bible, 
Okay. However, it's in the Bible. We know that all scripture is inspired and profitable and good for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness, and all that sort of thing. So now I need to just take a drink for a second and gargle all the way up to my brain. Oh. So we need to talk about the real reason that God brought judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, here's something really fascinating. Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned nearly a hundred times throughout the Bible. Not just this one time when uh, brimstone and sulfur comes flying out of heaven to destroy these, plant, or these places. Um, uh, it's peppered all the way from Genesis to Revelation, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's consistently brought up through every portion of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Moses, Amos, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Peter, Paul, Jude, and Jesus. They all the heavy hitters of Scripture make mention of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and here's why. Basically, Sodom and Gomorrah serves as the poster child for final judgment. Okay, we know that this wasn't the last time, nor the first time, that God would bring judgment upon sinful, unrepentant mankind. And please let me emphasize that word, unrepentant. Okay. Because it was, if God just brought judgment on sinful mankind, we'd all go bing off the face of this earth, and God would say to the angels, uh, let's start over with koalas or something. Uh, okay, but, but because they were unrepentant, final judgment finally came, and, and every time there's a reference to this, Sodom and Gomorrah just kind of serve as this picture to be firmly planted in our mind of this, this is what this looks like. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 6-9, through nine, here's where Peter mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, beginning with verse 6, he says that if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, um, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. See, he just says it right there. Scripture tells us. This is why we, we have Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible. It's an example of what will happen to the ungodly. But it goes on in verse 7. It says, And if he, God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Boy, Peter really wants us to understand that, that Lot, in spite of his behavior and in spite of some of the decisions he's made, his lack of wisdom and things like that, Lot was still considered a righteous man because righteousness is measured not by how we behave, not by our works, but it's measured by faith. And Abraham believed God, and he was reckoned as righteous. Okay. Now, I think it's interesting. I'm pretty sure that Peter, in spite of his own hard-heartedness and uh, small-mindedness from time to time, when he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, that there was at least one time he really did pay attention to Jesus, because Jesus told a parable. It's found in uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 24 through 30. And in this parable, he talks about a, a, a man who plants wheat. And uh, the wheat springs up, and along with the wheat, some weeds. 
grow with the, the wheat. And, and the, the harvesters come to him and they say, oh, look, we got weeds in the wheat. Should we, should we pluck up the weeds? And, and the master, the homeowner, the, uh, the, the, the landowner says, no, no, do not pluck up the, the, the weeds because you might get some of the wheat while you do that. So what we're going to do is wait. We're going to wait until the harvest comes. And then when that happens, we will separate the wheat from the weeds. And, and that was Jesus giving a picture of the life that we now live in a wicked world uh, where, like Lot, we are these little sowers, these little righteous people um, in the midst of a sinful, wicked world. And, and, and thankfully, God preserves his own until the day of judgment, okay? He's sovereign. He's in control of that. So we now have to ask this very big question, well, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? When we go back to chapter 13, when we find out that Lot pitched his tent near those cities, uh, chapter 13, verse 13 says this, Now the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Hey, that's pretty general. Yeah, there it is, right? For too long, North American Christianity has made the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah all about homosexuality. Now, when we read that story, part of the gross part of chapter 19 was there basically was a gang rape about to happen there. Right? And Lot interceded, did what he could to prevent that from happening. Here's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah according to Jude. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter. Verse 7 says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example, again, there it is, serve as a poster child uh, by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And then again, people go, well, there it is. See, see, God's really upset about homosexuality and pfft, he nuked an entire valley because of that. Okay. To really understand Scripture, you've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So let's not stop with Genesis 19, nor Jude, verse 7. Uh, let's go back to what Peter said. If we look at it in the context of 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 9 that we already read, uh, he said this about preserving the, the, the righteous and keeping the ungodly up until judgment. And it says, especially those who indulge in the list of defiling, the lust of defiling passion. And, and people, well, we go, there it is. Again, there, see, that's, that's why God destroys city. And then look, we've got to keep reading. And despise authority. See, this is where we itch a little bit because, again, this is what we do. We, we tend to focus on other people's sin and not our own sin, and they? Oh, look at those Sodomites, those Gomorians or whatever you call them. Gomorians, those are the green guys in Jabba the Hutt's palace and Star Wars look like pigs. Sorry, I got them mixed up. Uh, anyway, we, we, we go, look at those guys. Look what they're doing. I don't do those things. I'm not caught up in that uh, uh, sexual immorality or lust of defiling passions or, or unnatural desires or, or things like that. But every single one of us despise authority. And what if that were left unchecked? And let's keep going. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 14. Uh, when you're looking at the prophets, the false prophets in Israel's day, then he says this, In the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a 
horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers, meaning instead of stopping people from sinning, they actually kind of encourage people to indulge in sin so that no one turns from evil, so that a society gets to the point that they, they don't see any need for repentance. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Are you, are you seeing how it's really more than just homosexuality that God responded to the wickedness and the exceeding sinfulness of Gomorrah? Okay, now let's go to Ezekiel. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. You know, that's Ezekiel saying to Israel that, you know, it's like you're related to Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get convicted. <laughs> uh, that God saw the excessive pride of the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw how they were rich and they were prosperous and they were living a life of ease. They had everything they needed and didn't care to think about their brothers and sisters who did not. You see, I think it's really easy for us to say, well, here's Sodom and Gomorrah, and here's the church. This is why Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned nearly a hundred times in the Bible. Well, let's not stop with Zeke. Let's go to Jesus. In Matthew 10, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, he's talking to his disciples as they go out to preach the gospel. He says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Okay? So, so the complete, I, want, I don't want anything to do with God. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was much more than the sin of homosexuality. It was sin. It was the, the wreck of humanity at its worst. It's what, except for the grace of God, it's where you and I could go any minute. And, and that's why I think it's really important that we, we catch the, the swear of this story, the little town of this story, and, and that's Lot, because there's really much go, more going on in Genesis chapter 19 than God blowing up a valley. Because it takes us back to Lot, who made that choice to live in the Jordan Valley. If you go back to verse 2, we see Lot's house in Sodom. I mentioned that. He moved from his tent to the city. He said, here, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. Stay the night. Wash your feet. That sort of thing. In verse 8, we, we see Lot's willingness to use his daughters. I cannot get my head around that. 
I, mean, I just could not imagine. You know, these, we got these violent men coming, they, they want to do unnatural things to these angels, and Lot's solution is, here, take, take my girls. You know, it makes, doesn't it make you just want to go up the lot and just, right? Yeah. And the world brings a man to even think like that. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, in verse 14, we see that Lot's witness, nothing. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws. They were going to marry his daughters. He said, come on, get out of this place. It's, God's going to nuke it. And they went, yeah, right. He compromised his witness. In verse 16, we see Lot's hesitancy, hesitancy, wow, it's a hard word, uh, to take action. It says when, when Lot lingered in verse 16, or Lot hesitated, uh, the angels had to grab him and the hands of his wife and his daughters to get them out of that house. I mean, Lot didn't have enough wherewithal within his own thinking to say, you know, we're in danger here. We should probably just, you know, not even pack our bags, just go. But instead, he's just kind of like, and the angels are like looking at each other. And see why Abraham prayed for this guy. And they tug him along. Pretty much the whole way, the whole rescue is them dragging Lot to safety. And then verse 26, this is really tragic. You know, it's really easy to miss this part. In verse 26, we see, we see Lot losing his wife. The woman he spent his, most of his life with, and had two little girls with. And, and, and she looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Then we, and then we see in verse uh, 30, Lot living in a cave. It's not usually once. I mean, he went from a tent to a house to a cave. That's not what you call real estate progression in a good way. You know, but he was afraid of that little town that he begged to become his sanctuary. See, that happens. We look for something to become our safe place in, in life, and we find out it's really not the place that we're safe. And so he, he goes and lives in a cave with his, his daughters. And, and then in verses 36 all the way through 38, uh, we see Lot who objectified his daughters now being objectified by his daughters. You know, they're thinking, well, so air's off limits. And basically, uh, based on what we've witnessed, we might be the last people alive on earth right now. If, if we're going to continue to propagate mankind, then that guy, you know, get him drunk. Let's, let's do what we've got to do. You know, and then here's the interesting thing. Uh, uh, ben Ami, that's just a really nice way of naming uh, a kid. Uh, the son of my father, who's not my brother. The son of my people. And they became the Ammonites. And then we have Moab, and, and they became the, the, the Moabites. Uh, did you know that the result of this incestuous union that happened here was producing two nations that would forever be at opposition with God's people, Israel? Kind of the same way, you know, Sarah and Abraham thought the way to have a child was to impregnate Hagar. <laughs> and they created an offspring that to this day is at opposition with Israel, in opposition with God's plan. 
how in the world does a righteous person get to a point where they're that much of a mess, that their thinking is that askew, that their situation, their circumstances is, 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 is that deplorable, that the, the thing that they do can create ripple effects down the ages. How, how does that happen? Because it doesn't just happen to Lot, it could happen to any one of us who is bound up in selfish choices. I think it's doubtful that Lot would have been aware when he made that choice to take the Jordan Valley that it would lead him to cohabitating with the greatest sinners in the world or, or that would ever enter into his mind that it would be tolerable to objectify his daughters. He probably never thought that his witness would go down the drain or that he would become a person that just didn't even know how to take action anymore. Or, or that he would lose his wife because she ends up becoming enamored with the lifestyle of the culture that he chose to live in. Or that he would end up producing enemies of his uncle's line. You see, nobody thinks about those things when we're just thinking about ourselves. We're just thinking about, well, what's best for me? How can I get ahead in this? But the ripple effect of our choices are going to reach farther than we could ever imagine. What's recorded about Lot in the Bible, is it, it doesn't leave him in a very good light. But we must remember that Scripture describes him as righteous. He had enough faith to trust God for salvation. And, and that's what it means to be a Christian, to trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, to trust that what Jesus did on the cross by taking our place satisfies God's wrath against our own Sodom and Gomorrah-like character. And, and we're saved. And, and, and when we're saved, you know, it's, it's good to remember that we're saved not by our own righteousness, but only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then he then gives us his righteousness. And when we're saved, we're saved from wrath. We're saved from the power and the penalty of sin. We're saved for an eternal relationship with the creator of this universe. And so is Lot. And though we can sit here and crow about how, yeah, we're saved... That does not mean that we will be spared from the earthly consequences of a sinful, selfish habit. And that's why we want to pay attention to that soer of a man. It may seem like a little thing, but it's a significant, significant thing that's happening here. I think a, a, at least one point of application that we could take away from this is to remember that God gives us the freedom to choose, but not the freedom from our choices' consequences. Can I, can I say that again? Uh, it, it's good to remember that God has given us the freedom to make choices, okay, to have a will uh, after him that's being created in his image. But we have to remember that we are not free from the consequences of our choices. And that's why we should be found faithful with the little things, the sayers, 
be faithful with little things. Because when we're faithful with the little things, we do not give the devil an inch. Because if we give him an inch, he'll take the next one and the next one and the next one until suddenly we find ourselves going, I can't believe I thought what I thought and did what I did. I can't believe that my witness has been so compromised that people don't even listen to me when I talk to them about the gospel. I'm pretty sure that King David, when he decided to stay home from battle, see, that was the little selfish choice. It was spring when kings go to battle, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. But when he made that decision, he had no idea that he would end up committing adultery and murdering one of his mighty men cover it up, and then losing the child, the offspring of that adultery, and then wrecking his entire family to the point where civil war erupts in Jerusalem. No way David thought about that. You see, but what he did is he, when he decided not to go to war, he gave the devil an inch, and the devil ended up taking a mile, a mile. That's why in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, uh, Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Pay attention to the little things. The little decisions, the little choices. That might not seem significant, um, but if it's a selfish one, then its bark is going to be way worse than its bite. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in Scripture you leave behind an example for us, uh, and many times an example to follow. You know, to follow the uh, the example of Jesus, to follow the example of his apostles when uh, when they were being faithful and obedient, to follow the example of Paul as he went off into the world just telling any, anybody who would listen about the kingdom of God. Um, but Lord, you've also left for us examples to avoid, uh, to not follow. And so, Lord, we're grateful that the record of Lot is a warning, a warning to us all. And that, Lord, we would see that it's an easy thing maybe to avoid being like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's not an easy thing to avoid being like Lot. Lord, I wish it were my habit to not make selfish choices, but the reverse is true. But Lord, you promised to us that when you bring us salvation, you also will give us your spirit to reside within us and to come upon us in might and power to overcome our weaknesses. Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient and that when we are weak, we can be made strong. But to do that, we have to not be dependent upon our own motivation and wisdom and understanding. We have to be completely dependent upon you. So Lord, here we are today, this day, first week of 2023. And we say, Lord, would you, would you cause us to be dependent upon you and you alone? Lord, would you make us fall on our knees before you? To fall on our on our faces before you and say, God, help us. Help us in all that we do. Help us in the decisions that we make. That we would deny ourselves. That we would be willing to die to whatever the world has to offer us. 
And, and, and I want to take a moment to say, I'll follow Jesus where he goes in this. I will follow Jesus in this choice. So Lord, help us to be that people so that when we pray for our city, when we pray that it will become a place of righteousness, uh, a city on a hill shining like a light, is because we've made the decisions that we have to make for that prayer to be answered. So God, may your righteousness blossom in the soil of our hearts. May your glory surpass the soil of our souls. We ask in Jesus' name.
turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory that song really sums it up I was due for judgment. And that judgment was what Jesus did in my place on the cross. And it's finished. It's finished. That's my only hope to save the wretch that I am. That's our only hope. I hope that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have common ground, uh, as we depart from here, I would ask you to go in the words of the Apostle Paul from chapter 5 of Ephesians which is a good chapter. I'm going to have to shorten it down. I'll go to verse 15. And let's use this as our benediction today. Common ground, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Go in peace and have a wonderful week, Common Ground. Thanks for joining us today.